We can draw hormones, of course, in blood, and that's great. And people say, oh, is that bad? Should I not do that? So, oh, no, no, you, it's totally fine. Get your progesterone, get your testosterone, get your estrogen drawn in a blood test. But when you move into more advanced testing with urine testing, which is exactly what you think it is, you pee on a strip of paper a couple times a day and let it dry, mail it back to the lab, you get an in-depth look at these hormones known as metabolites. It's basically where does estrogen go? So you make an estrogen, you use the estrogen, and now your body has to break it down because sadly you can't keep the estrogen forever. It has a time limit. And so when you break it down, your estrogen may or may not choose a healthy path. Unfortunately, not all the pathways in our body in the breakdown process are what I would consider, you know, the best course. Some of them do have some potential side effects. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Hello, everyone. You know, one of the biggest questions I get is about hormones, hormone replacement, hormone therapy, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and especially about the conflicting information on estrogen in menopause, before menopause. We were scared to death about estrogen replacement in 2002 when the news media flashed that estrogen causes breast cancer, increases the risk of breast cancer, stroke, and other terrible conditions. We really have found out and as teased out through the years is that estrogen is very, very safe in and of itself. And so the progestins, synthetic progestins, not progesterone, bioidentical, but synthetic progestins are really the bad actor and were the bad actor in that study. We know some good things about estrogen now that can really help us. And the questions are often when to take it. Am I taking it safely? How do I know how my body is processing is? And really, what good does it do for me? So we'll talk about all of that today with a guest on my show, a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Carrie Jones. She is just an amazing individual. And I hung out with her recently at a conference we were speaking at in Las Vegas. So I got to spend some time with her and on a personal level, as well as, again, learn from her amazing depth of knowledge, especially in the hormonal field. So she comes at it as a naturopathic physician, which is a beautiful complement to the way I was trained. And so I love to learn. I love my naturopath. I think in retrospect, had I known about naturopathic medicine in the 1990s, I probably would have taken that route. I went the osteopathic medical route instead. And again, focusing on women's health. I love it. So Dr. Carrie Jones. She is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones with over 20 years of experience in the industry. And she's been dubbed the queen of hormones. So Carrie, welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. It is good to have you here. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful intro. It's lovely to be here. 
<laughs> well, I am glad we're here to talk about estrogen. Well, tell me a little bit of your backstory. How did you become, how did you choose naturopathic medicine and how did you choose to focus on women's hormones? I was set to go to conventional medical school. I wanted to either be an OBGYN or a pediatrician. And I grew up in the South, though I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, and my health class, so what a sex ed class, whatever you want to call it, was taught by the high school football coach. So you can imagine how that went and how little information we got. And when I got into college and realized the volunteer programs I was doing at the hospital were not the way I thought medicine should be. I mean, I'm from the Midwest. I didn't know how medicine should be, but I thought, not this. I don't want to do this. I moved to the Pacific Northwest and found naturopathic medicine. And I thought, this is where I need to be. And when I was in the program, I found a mentor who was a women's health hormones was from expertise. And I realized how little I knew about myself. So selfishly, I kept learning about hormones. And when I would tell my patients when I was a student and then a resident, I'd, all about hormones, I had so many women of so many ages go, I didn't know that. I didn't know, you know, just I'm sure as you hear day in and day out, so many women are just like, I didn't know that's how that worked. I didn't know that's how that happened. And I went into private practice. I was in practice over 10 years, probably 12 or 15 years focused entirely on hormones, and then took a break to become the medical director for a hormone lab known as the Dutch Test. So I just stayed in the hormone realm for um, two decades now. And even though I don't work for the Dutch Test anymore, I still keep up on all the hormone literature, just as you said, with estrogen, because wow, it is controversial. And I was in medical school in 2002. I started in 2001. So my mentor was perimenopausal when that study came out. And it sure caused a lot of earthquakes in the women's health field. And I'm glad that that cruise ship is turning, writing itself all these years later. Oh yeah, it's so true. And then when you look at hormones different ways, and I think this is really important, we'll talk about what the Dutch test is and why that's a great test. It's something I like to do on most all of my patients at one time or another. But you know, the importance of the way we our bodies detoxify estrogen. So there have been so many misconceptions about, okay, estrogen, is it good for us? Is it, you know, should I take it? Should I not take it? And when should I start? We're hearing many of these issues come up in the media, especially when it comes to brain health. And I think that one of the things that, you know, I speak about as well is that that connection of hormones and how they affect our neurotransmitters in our brain, how we think, how we feel, how we emote, right? Those are important pieces of life and living and also what's disrupting our natural hormone production and how important it is to course correct that. So I love that you've been, you know, in depth with the Dutch test and looking at urinary hormones. So tell us a little bit about that. We can draw hormones, of course, in blood, and that's great. And people say, is that bad? Should I not do that? I say, oh, no, no, you, it's totally fine. Get your progesterone, get your testosterone, get your estrogen drawn in a blood test. But when you move into more advanced testing with urine testing, which is exactly what you think it is, you pee on a strip of paper a couple times a day and let it dry, mail it back to the lab, you get an in-depth look at these hormones known as metabolites. It's basically where does estrogen go? So you make an estrogen you use the estrogen and now your body has to break it down because sadly you can't keep the estrogen forever. It has a time limit. And so when you break it down, your estrogen may or may not choose a healthy path. Unfortunately, not all the pathways in our body in the breakdown process are what I would consider maybe, you know, the, the best course. Some of them do have some potential side effects. 
So when we break down our estrogen, the Dutch test lets us know, are we choosing one path over the other that maybe we would or wouldn't prefer in the body? And that's really nice to know as women, because some of these paths are also quite estrogenic themselves. So if somebody says, I'm having really heavy periods, I have heavy clots, I've been growing fibroids, my breasts get full and tender, I have PMS. So all of these like low progesterone, higher estrogen type symptoms, it's nice to see at various levels where that estrogen is going and is that contributing to this estrogen excess type of situation. So I really like the Dutch test for that added piece that I can then do something about. You can do something about, we can do it with lifestyle and diet and supplements and nutrients of how do we course correct. Right now, exactly. And so when we talk about that whole piece about the estrogen detoxification, how we're metabolizing estrogen in our body, I mean, it's interesting to know that there's hundreds of estrogens, right? I mean, there really yes. are hundreds of metabolites, different forms, and you know, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. And so when we look at the urine, we look at the estrogen metabolite pathway to see, okay, what's the healthiest pathway versus what's unhealthy and again, targeting some of those avenues so that we can improve how our body is using estrogen. So whether we're making it naturally or we're supplementing with it, whether it's oral or transdermal estrogen or even vaginal estrogen, we wanna look at what our body's doing with that, so. Yeah, it's important that, you know, I am fully in your, I agree with you, the camp that estrogen should not be vilified. I am a big fan of estrogen. I'm not quite there yet, but when the time comes, I will, you know, happily go on estrogen to preserve all the things in my body. But like anything, I know I also want to, you know, direct where it's going. So that's, again, like I said, some of those metabolites maybe aren't the most beneficial <laughs> to the body. Nice. And I want to make sure that I'm optimizing which way it's going over the other. And I think that's really nice for men and women, but because the, the detoxification pathways are the same, male or female. But for women who are like, I want to be really proactive, like I really want to reduce risk. Um, this is where we get into that comprehensive information of, oh, estrogen does body good. You know, however, it's like Goldilocks, we have to get it just right. Yeah, that's so true. So talk about some things that improve the pathways. When we look at estrogen metabolite pathways, the two four and 16 estrogen <laughs> metabolite pathways. Well, I wanna get technical with everyone, but you know, just that concept of what's going to improve our detoxification pathway that we can all be taking, you know, or doing right now to improve that hormonal pathway. One of the biggest families of foods that I was just reading a research paper on last night, it was foods, spices, herbs that sort of optimize all these estrogen pathways. And I was reading the whole article and I don't know why I didn't think to look at the authors, but I got to the end and I thought, wow, this is such a well-written article. And I realized it's by two people who I just adore. One is Dr. Deanna Minnick and one okay. is Romilly Hodges. So, and they are great when it comes to phytonutrients. So in this paper, through and through, cruciferous vegetables win. So your broccoli, your kale, your Brussels sprouts, your broccoli sprouts, if you're into sprouts, you know, that subset of foods, that family of foods really does help multiple levels over so if you are not getting enough vegetables in, or you're curious what vegetables you should eat, really focus on those cruciferous vegetables. Now, and it comes to spices, rosemary and turmeric, hands down, over and over in this paper, rosemary, throw some rosemary, fresh rosemary, dried rosemary, use it on all your things, add turmeric to your cooking when you can. And I love that we can use these foods over and over. Parsley, parsley is something called apigenin in it. 
really helpful for estrogen detox. Your citrus, so like think of your oranges, they have an ingredient called naringin in it, antioxidant, helpful for detox. And so just knowing this information, you know, we, we talk about eat the rainbow, make sure you get your vegetables in. It's for a legitimate reason. Like it's a legitimate, you know, we're trying to help you. <laughs> we're trying to help you help yourself. Well, and that's been studied, right? Studied over Mm -hmm. centuries. I was like to say the, you know, ancient physicians to the kings prepared their food. So food is medicinal. And like, so when I made my books, I'm like, every menu has to have a medicinal menus, combining the herbs and the spices and the different food groups to really make it a medicinal healing, hormone balancing food. And so when you talk about parsley, like my favorite is my mom's tabbouleh. So my Palestinian mom's tabbouleh and that's parsley and lemon juice and olive oil and tomatoes and onions. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I can eat it. And I use broccoli sprouts instead of the cracked wheat. That is part of the traditional tabbouleh just to give it that extra, that similar crunch and without adding the gluten. So, (laughs) which and broccoli sprouts are my actual favorite and you can grow them yourself really inexpensively. Obviously you can take it as a supplement, but growing your own broccoli sprouts, when you grow broccoli sprouts, the sprout, not not the actual full head of broccoli, which you know, but for everyone listening, the sprout, when you chew or chop it up, these two magic ingredients come together. They're in the sprout. They come together and they form a third ingredient. It's called sulforaphane with an S. And sulforaphane opens up some 200 pathways. It's like opening all the doors. It like unclogs all the drains, you know, like it pulls up all the manhole covers. Like it just opens and says, get out. Like you can go now. And it's great for your detoxification pathways, not just estrogen, but chemicals and toxicants and other hormones that just need to go medications that are on their way out, all those things. And so I love that just, you know, a little handful, not, you know, two tablespoons of broccoli sprouts, which you can grow yourself. Just make sure you're getting organic seed daily, or actually you can even research has shown you can do it every other day, really makes this huge impact on how you work your detoxification process. So I love that you add it to your tabbouleh because delicious for one, and so beneficial for two. Oh, I love it. Okay. But you're going to have to tell me how you grow your own broccoli sprouts. So I can't grow anything. Succulents are even a challenge for me, but I can grow broccoli sprouts. So I buy <laughs> organic, 100% organic broccoli, the broccoli seeds, just buy the broccoli seeds. And then I have a ball jar, you know, and then I have a lid, my lid, because again, I don't grow things well, but I bought a lid, um, you know, don't hate me, but on Amazon and it's a mesh lid that screws onto my ball jar. And so all you do is put one or two tablespoons of your seed you fill it with water, soak it overnight, and then you flip the jar upside down, drain all the water out, and you leave it upside down. So I have it in a bowl so it can continue to drain. And then every day, you just fill a little bit of water, and then you swirl your seeds, flip it upside down, drain it. And within a couple of days, they start sprouting. And you just keep doing it to the point where they're ready to eat. And so then you can pour them out of the ball jar and store them in, you know, pat them dry with a paper towel or a cloth and store them in your refrigerator. And then just Little, you know, sprinkle them on your salad, sprinkle them on your soups, put them in your smoothie, just eat them. You know, if you have something that you're eating a spread on top of, throw some broccoli sprouts on. And so it's thankfully, see, they're not that hard. Mold is the big thing. And as long as you keep it draining well, if you keep it tipped upside down so the water can come out, your seeds will start sprouting in a couple of days. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Now, of course, there are supplements you can buy, you know, some people go, that's too much. I do a broccoli sprout supplement and that's okay. But if you're into trying it at home, it's just in a little glass jar, you know, a ball jar. 
fits on your counter and you can yeah. have your own. Yeah. Plus when you're doing the act of, right, the act of eating and chewing yes. and having something freshly made that, that you actually helped grow yes. and that you're eating fresh. I mean, that's better than anything you can buy in the store and it has additional benefits. I think there's a whole process to the lifeblood of something you're eating that's actually alive and sprouting that makes it even that much better and healthier for you. Yeah. So broccoli sprouts, so furafanes, definitely dim, diendol methane, and yep. um, indol three carbonyl. Those are all from our cruciferous vegetables, help with healthier detoxification of estrogen down the nice two pathway and away from the four and 16 pathway, which when we're out of balance, like when we have a higher four and 16, that's when it's associated with more risks for breast cancer, right? Especially the four pathway. So the four pathway, so for people listening or maybe a little unfamiliar, so when estrogen gets broken down, it first can go down these three pathways and that's considered in its entirety phase one detoxification. And they're numbered, the two pathway, the four pathway, the 16 pathway, just as Dr. Anna said. And so the four pathway, the one in the middle, if it keeps going, it will detour down a pathway that starts with a Q called the quinone pathway. And the quinone pathway, if it continues, it will result in DNA damage. And we don't want DNA damage because that's where we have the increased risk for cancer. Because if there's damage to the DNA and our DNA repair system can't fix it well enough or it's moving quickly because there's a lot of damage, then the risk for like, oopsies, the wrong thing was created, the wrong sides were connected, and now it gets the message to create cancer. So we don't want it to go down that Q pathway, which is why we use those foods or why we use that sulforaphane or the DIM, as you said, D-I-M or indole-3-carbonyl. And sulforaphane actually helps redirect as well. So the broccoli sprouts keep us on the right pathway, but also redirect. So if you are accidentally headed down that Q pathway and you eat broccoli sprouts regularly, it will regularly you know, remove you off the queue and push you back on the green path, on the good pathway. But glutathione is also helpful on that pathway. N-acetylcysteine, which is NAC, is also helpful on that pathway. It's We call it like our stop gap. So our body's really intelligent. We have the pathway, but at the same time, the body says, I, I got to throw some toll gates in there so I can turn you around. And that's where it's nice to have, get these extra antioxidants into our body, either through food or through diet so that we do kind of turn off that pathway and get back on the two pathway, which is the pathway we prefer. Yeah. And it's something like having worked with so many clients who've had breast cancer and we follow these numbers or even at risk or, or just in general checking these hormonal pathways. And I see an imbalance or a high four or high 16. So an unhealthy ratio compared to two, like the two to 16 ratio mm -hmm. or the two to four. But what I'll see is when they turn that ratio around, they feel so much healthier too. Yeah. So like they feel the difference. So many times, you know, we prescribe drugs and medicines, et cetera, and they don't feel, actually feel better. Mm -hmm. So it's also important if someone is taking estrogen, I think that's why I really like the Dutch test and another company that looks at these urinary hormones or a couple others, but the HUMAP test. I mean, there's some really mm, good data. ways, yeah, doctor's data to look at these estrogen metabolism pathways. And even in the blood, we can look at the two and 16 ratio in the blood. And I think the four two Quest was doing that lab. Do you know, Carrie? A I have not looked at it recently to know. 216, yes, I haven't looked at the four. The numbers, you know, they're tiny. The, you know, the metabolites themselves are actually really small. So that's why most people, even in the cancer world, do like urinary testing. Maybe not so the Dutch test, but a 24-hour urine because it all comes out and then they can catch it easier than when they draw the blood. And so that's why I've always just stuck to urine because I just often see that in the literature. 
Plus, we can see other things like our cortisol curve yes. throughout the day. <laughs> so yes. important to look at that. I've been flatlined under the curve for a few years, finally got it boosted back up. But it is that challenge. And I also want to talk about oral, the way we take estrogen, the way we take mm -hmm. estrogen matters. So and, and with testing too, like what's your preference, oral versus transdermal cream, patch or gel, or vaginal root or pellet? So many options. So the first thing, if somebody has never done estrogen before at all, usually what I'll start them with is the patch, to be honest, because it's easy they don't have to think about it. They just have to change it twice a week. They can get it. It's bioidentical or what we call body identical menopausal therapy. They can get it at a pharmacy. It's often, not always, but often covered by insurance if they go that route. And it's a nice introduction to them of a sort of steady state estrogen. However, I do find and I will ask, tell me about your life. You know, if if somebody says, oh, I've heard, I've heard vaginal estrogen is the way to go. I said, you can, totally. But you can't use it as lubrication. <laughs> your partner, male or female, I don't care, doesn't want that extra estrogen. So it will sort of cut back on spontaneity if that's a thing for you. Topical cream well, and I want to go back there a second oh, and talk about that yeah. estrogen vaginal because we are getting, you know, thankfully more physicians and people in the menopause space are saying vaginal estrogen, perfectly safe. The research on if you've had breast cancer, yes. vaginal estrogen, perfectly safe. And as a gynecologist, yeah. I have examined people who have used vaginal estrogen, whether it's a tablet, an ovule or a cream, and I see them two days later and it is still in the vagina. It yeah. has not well absorbed. And so that is, you know, again, you think, oh, well, I just have to use it, you know, in the morning when I'm having sex with my partner in the evening or whatever, again, reducing spontaneity. Yeah. So that estrogen transfers to your partner. And sometimes it's just, again, not very well absorbed for some people in some situations. Plus yeah. there's other things in with those creams. Of course, I'm biased because I made Dilva, <laughs> which course. is DHEA, and that's fine for our partners typically, you know, and so, and it also, I did it so it absorbs within 20 minutes and you can massage it in and that makes it really easy too. Huge, because I do like, for the women it works, I love estrogen in the vagina, either estradiol or even estriol. Estriol and vaginal dryness can work like a charm, just like DHEA. Again, but however, if I have a very active couple and I, vaginal dryness is a big concern for me, so I want to address it. But also if she says, well, we're pretty active. I don't want my partner getting all this estrogen. I agree. I'm like, well, let's try a different route for estrogen and use your DHEA instead. Absolutely. <laughs> a little and better. The thing too, estrogen works on the mucosal layer. Mm -hmm. DHEA works all the way down to the muscularis. So it actually, you see much better results. You can definitely do them together though. True. That's true. And both, which is what I love. Both are safe. If you have a history of breast cancer, which is a good thing. And then with creams and gels. So if somebody says, well, I have an estrogen cream, I rub it in my arm. What can happen? Again, it can transfer. And so if you had children late in life, which is not uncommon, and if for example, with a 15 year old, so <laughs> yeah. And so imagine if you were in your forties and you had your baby, but it right up against perimenopause menopause. So now you maybe have a toddler that you co-sleep with, or you're hugging to sleep or you're snuggling with, and you routinely are applying your topical estrogen on your arm or on your thighs, wherever you put it. I'm just aware of this information. I'm just like, you know, we need to, I need to know this because the topical, even though the gel, I believe research has shown some of those gels do absorb a whole lot better than just a generic cream, but still I, I want to be very, very careful. So I 
have preferences, but also work with who I'm with. And I'll be honest, I was never trained in pellets. And so I'm not a good person to ask on pellets. I know a lot of women love their pellet when they get it inserted. The unfortunate thing is if you don't love your pellet, then there's nothing I can do. Like I'm working with your body over the next couple of months to help you process it. And so we can go a different route. Yeah. And I don't like estrogen pellets because they usually diffuse at a different rate than testosterone pellets. If you know, we don't know where they're going, man, you know, managing those higher, much higher levels of estrogen. So you have to be very, very careful yeah. with estrogen pellets. So it, those are different ways. And as far as how our body metabolizes estrogen oral versus transdermal, do you see yeah. a difference? Is it safer one way or another? The, trans, the transdermal, so meaning like the patch or the gel or the cream, definitely what's considered safer. So when you swallow estrogen, um, there's some literature to show that is the increased risk for cardiovascular stuff, but stroke also the way, well, I'm sorry, stroke. Yeah, stroke. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so even anything you swallow, the liver, we call it first pass. So the liver gets first swipe at it and can take a lot of that estrogen and get rid of it, or it takes a little estrogen. It kind of depends on what your liver is up to. And so if you're constantly swallowing your estrogen, we would see when it hit the Dutch test, it would kind of be all over the board, what was coming out, therefore what you were absorbing. And so, but I do know, you know, some people, I don't know very many people who prescribe oral estrogen anymore, but I do know it's obviously still available and can happen. And some people love it, but the majority, I would say in my world, don't. They prefer something that goes on the skin or even in the vagina, you know, something that route instead. Yeah, How about no, you? I agree. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Avoid oral estrogen because of the risk of stroke and blood clotting and yeah. increase in inflammatory markers. So, yeah. And we already become pretty inflammatory. When our estradiol drops down to menopause, I was just reading a research paper the other day and the authors were very bold about it. I mean, they were like, you go immediately into a pro-inflammatory state. I don't know who designed us. I am not thrilled, but like who thought that out, but the drop in hormone and automatically that's the one we suddenly are pro-inflammatory. A lot of women listening may go, but I'm already inflamed. Like I'm already in my thirties or forties and inflamed. That's not fair. I'm like, I agree totally. So let's not do oral estrogen and increase that risk even more. Let's go a different route. Right. And then timing, like the estrogen window concept. And like for me, you know, and I'll ask you too, like for me, there's no end time on hormone therapy for my patients, as long yeah. as they want to live well, do well, you know, think well, move well, yeah. all those good things, as long as they're doing good things for the body regularly, detoxing, etc. Yeah. Then I don't have time and age limit on hormone therapy. So what about you? Same boat. Yep. And I understand there's been a lot of varying information of you should only do it for five years, you should only do it for 10 years, you should do the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time. And Unfortunately, what has been shown is that the minute you stop, you lose the benefit. It's not like you do it for five years and then you get 15, 20 more years of benefit. If it's not in your body, it's out. And I want it in for the heart, for the joints, for the brain, for the mood, <laughs> for, for the, all the immune system, for all of the things. Now, there is literature on timing to start it, which, as you alluded to, that you really definitely want to start it at least within the first two years of your of period stopping yeah of menopause so when your period stopped when you get the definition of menopause if people don't know of course is 12 months no cycle so in the 13th month you're menopausal so starting estrogen and most women start before then because most women um are like oh i haven't had a period in six months or eight months and I'm like oh you're real close and you're having all these symptoms let's go ahead and start but the reason for that the big concerns me is the brain loss the gray matter loss the hippocampal shrinkage in our brain if we didn't get on 
estradiol within those two years, which a lot of women can relate to because they say, I'm having brain fog. I can't remember. My short-term memory is not as good. My recall isn't as good. I have to make lists now. I didn't used to have to make lists. I get lost a little more. And then, of course, all the mood, which is what you said in the beginning, the connectedness, anxiety, depression, feeling part of a community, feeling love, having love. And I don't want any part of my brain to shrink. <laughs> no, so no, much. definitely. You know, we need estrogen for gluconeogenesis in the brain yes. to give our brain fuel and muscle and our heart and our muscles. So that's an important piece. So curious about your prescribing like pattern, because I typically will start with, you know, as the hormones change, the DHEA, progesterone and pregnenolone, testosterone and estrogen, kind of in that order. As I'm working on detox is always one of the first steps to give them my hormone fix book and say, do the 10 day keto green hormone detox. We supplement, I supplement them with support for phase one and phase two. So the mighty maca plus mm -hmm. sometimes additional supplementation, have them do that kind of foundational. Let's cleanse the <laughs> pathways. Let's detox yeah. the liver. Let's support kidneys and all that good stuff during this and also glucose metabolism by bumping into ketosis and really cutting down on those carbs, especially in perimenopause so that we can have that less load on uh, less toxic burden on the body as we're trying to use the hormones that we have. Yeah. And that's an important piece Whether in half, I always tell clients, you have to do that seasonally as well. Like every time the seasons change, which in Texas is only twice a year, but we were <laughs> trying to get at least four times in a year. So really to focus on that. But how about you? Like, what is that for you? That very similar, generally same DHEA, progesterone, the top runners definitely in perimenopause hormones I prescribed. I do the same, you know, some detox support, adrenal support. A lot of women, the act of perimenopause is stressful. And at the same time, usually your life is considerably more stressful. You have kids that are teenagers or graduating, going into college or maybe graduated college. You have parents who are getting older. You're generally in your forties, like really solidly in your career. And it's just a lot. And then on top of it, your body completely changed. So adrenal support, DHEA, which of course DHEA is part of adrenal support, and then progesterone. Pregnenolone, I in practice did not use a lot of pregnenolone back in the day and stuck more with progesterone. And now the more I read on the cognitive, the neurocognitive and mood effects of pregnenolone, it is a neurosteroid. As you know, what happens is it can cross up into the brain and it does good. And I've had more menopausal women late, lately tell me I've added in, you know, like 25 milligrams of pregnenolone and I just feel so much better on top of their hormones. They said, I just, my mood is better. I just feel better. I feel, I'm like, oh, you've got all that love, that good neurosteroid up in the brain. And then I agree, estrogen when the time is right, testosterone when the time is right. Yes. Yeah, not too early either. So, you know, with yes. my plug for my own balance cream right now, because pregnenolone, I put pregnenolone and progesterone in my balance cream. And so, you know, and I also put tripeptide in. <laughs> so that's very anti-aging and essential. So it gets rid of the age spots, sunspots. I mean, if you're going to use something, let it have some cosmetic benefit Heck too. Yeah. That's my philosophy. <laughs> that's my philosophy. But also, you know, for men and women, I mean, you know, men, progesterone and pregnenolone are really very good too. And especially using it around the temple, you know, mm -hmm. temples around the head, neck and chest area too. That's really well absorbed and also again, close to the brain, mm -hmm. but also progesterone for sleep. Yeah. To keep tryptophan active to support, you know, your neurotransmitter and yeah. pregnenolone as well. 
Yeah. We hear that and see that and feel that ourselves as women all the time. I, when I was a lot younger, I would have clients who'd say, you just wait, Carrie, you just wait. When you turn 45, you're not going to be able to sleep anymore. I was like, no, I'll have it figured out by then. No, they were right. <laughs> it definitely sneaks up on you. One day you can sleep and the next day it's not the greatest sleep of your life anymore. Unless you do something about it, it continues because of those hormone shifts. Yeah, it makes us humble. I said, I wouldn't be doing this without my own journey to hell and back. I feel a lot of empathy for all the women everywhere because you and I are in this field. So we know what's going on biologically, physiologically. But if you have no idea, I 100% empathize with you. I know it can feel rough. And I know in medicine, it's not very well talked about or told about. And so even if you go to your OBGYN, you know, they may be more focused on the younger baby years. That's what their expertise in. They are not an expert yet in perimenopause and menopause. And so it can be really frustrating. And so Hopefully everybody listening yeah. reads Dr. Anna's book and gets her stuff because I mean, she's definitely on the forefront of education around it. Well, and that there's like, because we don't have so much training in our medical world on menopause, right? Mm -hmm. And then also it doesn't have to be a prescription for like, if you don't have access to someone who's prescribing, keep looking to get a good yeah. prescriber with a functional medicine background. That's yeah. really important, but there's so much power within us. Mm -hmm. Just by making little you know, little tweaks in our mindset and, you know, how we think throughout the day, how we move, how we nourish our body. I mean, there's so much within our power. And I know you do this too. Like, you know, when I see a patient, I have them do the questionnaires and I do the lab tests, but till I get those results back, I put them on, you know, my detox, the keto yeah. green hormone detox and mighty maca at least, right? I may or may mm -hmm. not use progesterone at that time, depending on their age and symptoms, et cetera. But when they come back in for their results, they're already 90% better. I mean, yeah. and I like to claim that 10% that don't <laughs> need me, right? They're like 100% better. They really don't need me. But when you're yeah. empowered like that, and that's what I want women to know. We heard Dr. Dan Butner, the author of The Blue Zones, The Longest Living Areas, not one of those people are on hormones, Yeah. right? So yeah. we have to remember that too, but they're also, you know, living in nature, connecting. It's completely really well. different lives than we have in the hustle bustle of the city and climbing yeah. the corporate ladder or, you know, whatever people are doing, trying to raise families and age gracefully. It's a very different lifestyle. You know, I read the Blue Zone stuff and I'm like, oh, that's lovely. That sounds so nice. That sounds so fantastic. And then I look around at my house, you know, the light, and I'm like, but reality is where I am. Oh. Totally. That's and I'm not, like, until oh, I'm I gonna, win the lottery. <laughs> oh, I'm always like, I'm going to plant a garden. <laughs> Every I can, time I read that, I go to a lecture. Like, <laughs> like it's my one thing I can grow sprouts. <laughs> that's it. I'm going to start with sprouts. I'm going to start with sprouts. You know, sometimes I just plant yeah. things and yeah, they're not hardy enough to survive me. <laughs> well, and you're also in Texas. So well, it's tell our hearty. audience, I mean, there's so many questions. I know we could talk about this for a long time. So I want our listeners to definitely put in questions, you know, give us some questions and topics for more on this topic or what questions you have. Definitely follow Dr. Carrie Jones on Instagram and also at drcarriejones.com. And, you know, she's just a wealth of information. And Carrie, you also have a podcast. Tell our listener about that too. I do. It's the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. And I will be having you on very, very soon. So stay tuned as Dr. Anna Kabeca will be one of my guests. 
I'm honored. I'm honored. All right, you guys. So check her out. This is amazing. It's always really important. We're continuing to learn, continuing to stay up to date on the research, safety profiles, efficacy, the best methods. And again, it's not the same for everyone. But what we do know is to reduce your toxic burden, to reduce the xenoestrogens in your environment, choose clean products, clean, you know, detergents you're washing your dishes with, you're washing your clothes with, you're washing yourself with. Those are really important aspects for that can affect our, our body's ability or our toxic burden or hormonal xenoestrogen burden. It, that affects us so much. Just cleaning up those things, you've done something good to yourself. So don't feel overwhelmed. Take one step. Think today, what's my one next right step? And be sure to share that with me. Share this episode with your friends. Check out Dr. Carrie Jones. And I look forward to seeing you till next time. Thank you, everyone.